Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, the founder of On The Dot, where our mission is to bring you incredible, relatable role models. And this week, we're bringing you a really amazing role model. And she's just got a super cool story that I think has some unexpected twists and turns. So really excited to have her here today. So we welcome Adair Byerly. She is the CEO and founder of Entertainment Mindframe. And she is paving the way of understanding the brains of creatives. She's done some really cool stuff. So welcome. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, and of course, we are still in this time of COVID-19 and lockdown. And so, you know, we've had some interesting conversations and it's been really interesting just to hear about how people's businesses have changed and evolved during that time. So we're excited to dive into that. But before Mm -hmm. we kind of get going, I love just to jump way back. What was your big dream? What did you think you'd be doing when you grew up? Oh, gosh. Well, I grew up like half country, half city girl. My dad's from the country. My mom is from the city. But I was also biracial. I was the first biracial child on both sides of the family. My mother was white and my father was African-American. So I had all of these different things in me that I was attracted to and didn't really understand why. So I wanted to be any and everything from a scientist to seriously, I thought about being a firefighter. Like there's so many different, yeah, there's so many different, I didn't actually pursue it, but you know, it's just crazy when you're little. I mean, of course there's no limit to what you can do. And when you have great parents that tell you, sure, you can do it. You can do it. You can do anything. That was pretty fun just figuring that out along the way of what I was going to be. But when I was actually in kindergarten, I had told my class that I was going to be a model when I grew up. And lo and behold, wow, <laughs> it actually exactly. happened. That's interesting. And for, you know, a five-year-old, you know, hey, to know that, that's pretty amazing. So let's talk a little bit about that as we get into that, because that was kind of your first career foray, right? As you became a model. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love for you just to kind of talk about, you know, how you got into that and, you know, what drove you to get into that and just that experience overall. You know, when I was younger, I didn't really know, you know, why I wanted to do it so much. I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I really pushed myself. I was 14 when I started. So my parents were having to drive all the way to the city, which was in Dallas at the time. Uh, They had to drive out to Dallas to get me to photo shoots or fashion shows. And for the first like four to five years, it was just tooth and nail. It was like I could not break into the industry to save my life. I was told no all the time. Did you know why you were being told no? At the time, I did not. I did not understand it until I actually broke into the industry. So when I was 19, that was when I was legitimately signed by an agency that was under the umbrella of the Screen Actors Guild. And it was just a total different experience. And once I got into it, I learned that the industry, it just constantly changes. The looks that they're going for constantly changes. So you don't necessarily have to only be physically attractive to be a model. You have to have a bunch of different requirements that they're looking for at that time. And at that time, which was over 10 years ago, girls that had curly hair, 
girls that had an ethnic look to them were not as much searched for as they are now. And you can go back and look at marketing during that time to see the difference between, you know, what was acceptable and what was not. A lot of things have changed. I mean, a lot. Like, (laughs) we're seeing more natural looking women now. We see women that have curves. We're seeing normal women and they're getting rid of those unrealistic expectations of what people are supposed to look like. So it changes and you'll see probably a pretty significant change every four years of what beauty is supposed to look like, quote unquote. So when you got into, you know, modeling, how long were you in it? And what was sort of the, what were you known for, I guess? I was actually under the height requirement. They might make an exception for you if you're 5'8", but definitely 5'9". And I was under 5'8". I was 5'7". So that alone was like, okay, well, you're never going to do runway, (laughs) which is fine because I don't like runway anyway. (laughs) But I did a lot of print work. I did a lot of beauty campaigns. And over time, I got known for my ability to just transform. I was chameleon. There are pictures of me out there that they just don't look like me. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you. I don't know why I was able to do that, but that's kind of what I got known for was just my face and its ability to change. You know, throughout the years, I did it for professionally for about 10 years, and I was very fortunate to work with the dear professionals I did. I mean, through my time in the industry, I was featured in Vogue, and I have received my eligibility to become a member of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. So I've just been fortunate, I would say, to break into the industry and be able to work with those, those level of professionals. So what you're trying to tell me is that at five, one and a half, I'm probably not going to make it in the modeling world. <laughs> <laughs> and that half is very important to me. Okay. Oh five, my one gosh. And a half. <laughs> not five, one. My oh, husband's man. six, five though. So I made up for it through marriage. Wow. <laughs> He's really tall. <laughs> yes, he is really tall. I always gravitated towards really tall guys. I don't know what it is. You got to be more powerful. You got a tall spirit. <laughs> I had what to improve my gene pool. I mean, my poor son, <laughs> I had to give him a fighting chance. <laughs> um, you got a pretty major career shift, if you will. And I love that what you talked about when you were growing up that, you know, you thought about, hmm, I want to be a scientist. You know, that was one of your things because of course, Mm -hmm. even 10 years ago, gosh, and and 15 years ago, certainly this girls in STEM movement was not rocking and rolling. And it was much less the norm for women and certainly young girls to, you know, jump into science. What was that pivotal moment in your career? So you're in this modeling career, you're in Vogue, you're doing all these cool things. And then what happened? Tell us about what you're doing now and why the transition. So what happened really is over time, I would say probably about four or five years ago, I really started to focus more on the other side of the camera, which was behind the camera and a place that was widely avoided in the industry, which was in the mind of a lot of creatives. And I grew up with a lot of business understanding because both of my parents are entrepreneurs and it actually dates all the way back to like my ancestors. So I had a very good idea of business and the way business should be ran and operations. And so the glamour part, that's just one side of it. I was so interested on the back end and I also had a personal dislike for the industry because of all of the crazy things that would go on and like the 
infamous scandals that you hear about. I mean, there's so many things that go on that are considered a normality that should not be. And it drives people away from the industry. It causes us to lose very talented people. And I was like, there has to be something to do about this. So I would actually go on these hiatuses. I would just leave for months at a time and just disappear. So I could ground myself again and find myself again as a business professional. And I just decided one day, I was like, instead of me running from it, why don't I just create a solution for it? So I had dove into brain and behavioral sciences. I started to just nerd out and read about it (laughs) religiously. Started attending brain seminars. I went and got licensed as a neurolinguistic programming practitioner. I studied cognitive behavioral therapy and do practice in neuroplasticity as well. And from my understanding of the brain and all of my background in the industry, I just brought it together and I created Entertainment Mindframe. And it's a company that provides cognitive development and internal communication strategies for professionals in entertainment, media, and fashion. And we do that by applying brain and behavioral sciences. Is a lot of this driven by, I mean, we were hearing a lot, which I think is great, about mental illness really coming top of mind. And a lot of it has been celebrity driven, you know, celebrities coming out and talking about depression and anxiety. And certainly Mm -hmm. there have been some suicides that's brought it kind of top of mind, that mental health piece. Is that one of the key drivers and sort of what you're, you know, trying to explore? It is a focus. It's not something that I aim to solve, but a big part of what my company does and a lot of the research that's done, it is directly stemmed from mental health because everything happens from our brain, period. I mean, everything starts at a cellular level. So from our hormones to our neurons to our behavior and the way that we respond and perceive the world around us, I mean, it all starts from the inside out. So mental health is a lot more than you know, kind of the platform that people think it only is, which is just talking about the things that you're dealing with, but it's constantly projected into your work environment. It's constantly projected into your career and it can absolutely hold you back. And multiple clients that I've had, whether it's teams or bigger companies, almost all of the things that they're missing out of when it comes to money or contracts or a good deal it all stems from a mental health issue. It's insane if you think about it. I'm not saying that's the only problem, but our mind has so much to do with the world around us and everything that we do. So I focus on that a lot. And the licensing that I do have are different techniques to try and solve some of those things. Technically, I can't diagnose anybody. I can't give medical advice but I can apply certain techniques to the people that might be dealing with that or even companies because you would be surprised. It's not uncommon to have a team of people that deal with anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. especially in the world of fame. Everything is so fast-paced. There's a very high demand of what needs to be done and what you need to give. So it's very common. And because that's so common, it's very, how can I say this? Operating within anxiety is is also common for business. So yeah, removing that and seeing all the solutions that happen when you just remove those filters, it's almost incredible. It's like magic. 
Uh, the companies that you work with, I mean, certainly we are in a very unique time and it's something that I've heard, you know, big companies talk about a lot because even, you know, beyond the celebrity world, beyond people who maybe during normal times, I'm using sort of air quotes here, you know, mm-hmm. maybe don't suffer from anxiety and don't suffer from depression. But with this, this COVID-19 pandemic, there are a lot of people who are finding themselves and don't have the capacity to deal with it because they've maybe never been here before. They've yeah. not experienced that kind of pressure and that kind of stress. Have you seen right. that exponential since? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, most of the talks that I've been doing now have been virtual webinars on operating in confinement and what isolation does to your brain. And I do that with one of the psychologists that I work with, with my company. She's a PhD psychologist, clinical psychologist. I mean, she's like top of the line, experimental psychologist. People call her when there's cases that go to court, like crime cases that go to court so she can evaluate them. I mean, she's on some pretty high level stuff, but I do them with her and we talk about, you know, what's going on in the brain during this time. It's funny to me because I've kind of noticed that people are turning this time into a competition of how much you can get done during this downtime. And I'm like, you know, it, how many closets can you clean out? Right. That doesn't have to be the case. (laughs) It's not a competition. It's not a time for you to gauge how many real friends you have or real family members you have, you know, because people aren't reaching out to you. Everybody's going through something right now, everyone. And we all deal with isolation differently. Again, this happens at a cellular level. This happens from our hormones. If we're not receiving that outer stimulation that we usually receive, which is getting up in the morning, having somewhere to go, having something to put your ideas into and actually see it come to fruition, having those fun jokes that you get to tell in the office or just anything, any type of interaction, because we're made to interact. We're not made to be by ourselves. A human species is not made to be by ourselves. So when that's all taken away and now we're living in uncertainty and so much different information out there that we're not sure if it's true or not. Yeah, our fear levels are spiking. Our stress is spiking. And what happens when that spikes? Well, those hormones like your flight or flight hormone kick in and you might start making irrational decisions. You might not be such a nice person. You might be getting angry more. You might be losing motivation. I mean, there's so many things that happen. And so you're right. You don't have to be dealing with anxiety or depression, but Anxiety and depression also comes from your hormones either being under or overactivated. And a lot of people are dealing with that right now. There's just none of that activation going on. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. (laughs) Certainly on a personal level, but I have a 12-year-old son. And, you know, think about the the raging hormones that are happening as they're, you know, he's about to turn 13. You know, that just in and of itself can be a nightmare. But the, you know, just the isolation and, you know, a very Mm -hmm. social, active, sports-driven kid who's Mm -hmm. not had any interaction. I mean, it's really, really tough. Yeah, it is. I think that also, you know, not knowing when there's an end, you know, the not knowing part, if we knew it was like X number of, you know, and then everything's going to be normal again, but we just don't know that. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And I know that for me, the thing that probably knocks me off kilter the fastest is uncertainty. It's like, I like to just know, just give me the facts, good, bad, or otherwise. I'm fine (laughs) with whatever. I can deal with facts, but when everything's kind of nebulous, I get really uncomfortable. So... Yeah. And that's a very normal thing to have. 
we're built to be engineers. We're built to figure out things. That's the way the human mind is built. And when we are faced with uncertainty and we don't have any opportunity to strategically figure that out, our fear levels, it just goes through the roof. And it's supposed to because our brains were created to keep us alive. And if we don't know what's out there, that means danger. That equates to danger. So the fear is just our body saying there's a perceived threat out there somewhere because we don't know what it is. And nobody likes living in that. So yeah, that's, that's heightened for everybody right now. So let's talk a little bit about when you decided to launch your business we talk a lot on our podcast, obviously, it's, you know, about women and women in business, but really talking about the challenges that women face, female entrepreneurs, females within companies, you know, being women. And then also, of course, you have an added lens that you're a woman of color. And I would love for you just to talk about, did you face any particular challenges? Did you feel like you were dismissed, you know, when you go from a modeling career to this very cerebral, scientific yeah. <laughs> type of business? You know, how, how do people react to that? You know, I will say based off of my rapport that I've had in the industry, the people that know me, it was very welcomed. People that do not know me, I receive a lot of pushback because it is hard. I've learned this too with neuroscience, which it kind of helps me understand and not take things so personally is we're always kind of scanning people to see where they belong. We're always trying to put people into categories and you see me and you're like, okay, so she models, she's biracial, you know what I mean? And then it's like, she belongs here and here, but she doesn't belong here. So I think people have a hard time mm-hmm. with that alone saying, how in the world is a model going to talk about science? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, the transition I did have a lot of fear in that, to be completely honest with you. And it stalled me from starting for years because I had seen this years ago. I saw this before the Me Too movement caught a wave in Hollywood in 2017. So I had seen these things happening. I kind of predicted like, okay, at some point, these things that are going on in the industry, they're going to come to surface because times are changing. And lo and behold, it did. And I was like, yeah, I can't keep sitting on this out of fear. I can't keep saying like, all right, I, I can't do this because I don't have this or that. And I just had to do it. But yeah, I get it all the time. People dismiss me. People don't understand in the best way possible. I just have to say, oh, well, I got to keep going. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because I was just having this conversation earlier today about, I think this is something that is particular to women. Because just like you said, people are trying to put you in a box, even other women, I think we're, we're sort of trying to put you in this box. Okay, she's a model, you know, she's biracial, she, whatever those things are. And I was mm-hmm. actually talking about my situation. I have a SaaS company now, a software platform that I've developed. And mm-hmm. I also have owned a magazine in Austin for 18 years. Even people I know well, like I have to tell them over and over. It's like they cannot click over. And when I went to raise money for my software company, that a lot of doors got open because I knew people because I owned a magazine. But then when I got in there, I kind of got a pat on the head. Oh, look, it's that cute little local magazine owner. Right. Not like, wow, she could have a software company that could be worth, you know, a hundred million dollars. Like there's just, (laughs) they could not make the leap, but that doesn't happen to men. I think it's just really fascinating that way because you know, it's almost like it's celebrated, you know, if men have done all the, oh, wow, you know, they're an actor and now they're running for president. Of course, that makes sense. I mean, 
you know, <laughs> right? It's so fascinating. You know, just love to hear your perspective on it just from a, a cognitive standpoint. It's like, what is that? What is that that allows men to have that hall pass? If they've done all these different crazy things, of course it makes sense. They now have a software yeah. company. I think it's, <laughs> that's so funny you said that. There's a lot of truth to it though. I think a lot of it is just societal structure and you're talking about decades and decades of programming the way, you know, men should be and women should be. But again, times are changing. And what's crazy is times change faster than society is ready for. So we're always seeing like these waves of things coming, these movements coming, and it's always going against the grain for some reason, because it, the change is happening faster than our brain was programmed to believe it. It's really just proving those belief systems wrong. I mean, I get so many different questions. I mean, you'd be surprised because I'm not a scientist. Technically speaking, I'm not a doctor. I just have a crazy understanding of business. I have a very interesting perspective from the industry that a lot of people don't have unless they have been in it themselves. And then on top of that, I have this crazy obsession with the brain. My obsession with the brain has brought me to understanding my stuff so well that if I can have PhD neuroscientists and psychologists agree to work with me and work for me, then you know that should tell you something about what I'm capable of doing. Even because I did not go to school to be a scientist, I've even had that pushback where it's like, well, how do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> so you're going to deal with it. And my focus is not to prove those people wrong. It's just to help them change their belief system. So I have actually stopped wasting my time talking to people, even if it's friends or family members. These are people I love. I stop wasting my time explaining to them my vision and my purpose because it's not for them. And it's just for me to pursue and it's for you to see happen. And in you seeing that happen, seeing is believing, then, you know, the change is made. So a lot of people can't understand it until they see it, until you actually create that new reality that no one knows of. So what's the best piece of advice you've gotten over the years? You grew up with two entrepreneurial parents, which is amazing. Is there a piece of advice that you've gotten or that you always give? You know, my mom always tells me, she even tells me this now, and it sounds really cold, but I get it because I understand her and I understand where she's coming from. My mom has built two successful companies from absolutely nothing, and they're still up and running to this day. But she says, figure it out. You'll figure it out. She always says you'll figure it out. And another thing that she would tell me all the time, because I knew I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I knew I did. I just could not believe in myself enough to actually build something. So I was out and I was working in other corporations. And I had started to notice that my commitment level, my professional morality None of that was really appreciated and it didn't go that far in the world of those type of corporations. So I would go to her and I was like, this happened, this happened, this happened. I'd be pissed. (laughs) Things would happen. I would solve issues. I would still be put under a microscope. Oh my God, just so much stuff. So many things that I had to go by. And it had nothing to do with the problems that I was solving and my production. I mean, it's like I could never do anything right. And I told her and she goes, you know, 
is, do you see what you're doing at companies? Like, do you see how many people you're allowing to be successful? Every single person I've worked with, their numbers rose within three months. Every single company I've worked at, they've had the best month they've ever had once I started. And they were able for the first time to take a vacation in years. And I was working in the world of real estate and mortgage, and that's like impossible. You can't take off in that world. Right. <laughs> so I was doing so well, and I was creating these operations so well that these people were able to take off, go out of the country, turn off their phone for the first time. And she said, if you can do that for them, you can do it for yourself. You can do it for your own company. And when she told me that, and I started to look at the difference between when I started a company and when I left and how much change had taken place, just based off of my ideas alone and my work ethic, I was like, hell yeah, I can do this. <laughs> so, and another thing, actually, my dad told me, he says, if you constantly see something that bothers you, then you need to start looking into it because it has something to do with your passion. Hmm. And the thing that bothered me consistently, whether it was in modeling or whether it was when I was doing corporate jobs, it was the lack of communication and a misunderstanding of people projecting what's going on internally outward. It irked me so much because I was like, this is affecting business. <laughs> right, right. So, and that was a common thing for me. So, you know, eventually, I mean, I just, you know, listened to that. Both of my parents, I mean, you have to think about this. They both married people outside of their race at the time that was not acceptable. They are used to going against what society approves of. So I was raised in that and I didn't really realize, you know, how much of that was really put into me until I got older. So going against the grain doesn't really scare me. I'm used to things not being acceptable. <laughs> so when I talk to people now and, you know, I have women, you know, ask me for advice on what should I do? What should I do? I'm like, just do it. Just do it. And I know that sounds so like irrational, but you have to believe in what your body's telling you because your potential will haunt you. If you don't do anything about it, you'll go to sleep and wake up every single day, every night and every day, and your potential will, it'll be slapping you in the face until you do something about it. So you got to listen to that. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's great advice. Appreciate that. Tell everybody where they can find you. They can find more information about what you're doing, where they can follow you, because I know they're going to want to now keep track of you and see what you do next. <laughs> On Instagram, it is Brains Behind Fame. My company website is www.entertainmentmindframe.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, first name, last name, Adair Byerly, A-D-A-I-R-E-B-Y-E-R-L-Y. And they can also find me on Facebook, same name. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's just fascinating what you're doing. And I know that you're probably making a a huge impact, certainly in your industry, but I would imagine that what you're doing is going to be even more sought after with the times we're in. So I wish you all the best and, you. Um, you know, can't wait to watch your company explode and do great things in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? 
reach out at on the dot woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.